This is Power Players with Dan Clark. This is a podcast interview with University of Utah gymnastics superstar Grace McCallum. Welcome to Power Players with Dan Clark, former athlete, Hall of Fame speaker, New York Times bestselling author, and high performance business coach. For each week, I bring you an inspiring message from an extraordinary human being who will share their secrets on how you can tap into your personal power to become everything you were born to be. Thanks for spending some time with me today. In this episode, University of Utah sophomore superstar gymnast Grace McCallum, who excelled as a young teenager at Minnesota Connections Academy, as a U.S. Championships and U.S. Classic qualifier since 2017, four-year member of USA national team from 2018 to 21, two-time world champion as a Team USA member, and a member of the 2020 U.S. Olympic silver medal gymnastics team, shares her life on and off the mat, giving us an inside glimpse into the mind and heart of a champion, who as a freshman was a five-time All-American, three regular season two NCAA, five-time All-Pac-12 Conference, 2022 Pac-12 Bars and Floor Champion, yeah, she's going to teach us what she does to make herself physically strong, mentally tough, and emotionally ready for every practice and meet as she has hit 56 out of 61 career routines. This podcast episode is brought to you by Berkshire Hathaway. If you're in need of a brand new home or perhaps a luxury second home up in the Park City Deer Valley area, They take care of us in an extraordinary, first-class, sophisticated, elegant way. Berkshire Hathaway supporting our University of Utah student-athletes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And Grace, it's such such an honor to have you on, on this podcast. Thank you for having me. So, so many questions pinballing around in my mind. The first one is... I love quotes, so you're going to hear a few quotes probably spill from my lips as we have this chat. But one that stands out is, it's not the size of the dog in the fight, it's the size of the fight in the dog. It's not the size of the town, it's the size of the dream. And tell us about this little town that you grew up in, in Minnesota. What part of Minnesota is it in? Um, so I'm from Visanti, Minnesota. It's a very small town, probably like 45 minutes outside of the cities. Um, not a whole lot going on out there. A lot of cornfields, very boring. How many um, people? About... 5,000. Really? So they miss you today. They're like, where's Grace? They hated <laughs> when she went away to, to, to school and to the Olympics. Yeah. Um, so how do you find a love of gymnastics in a little teeny tiny town when there's probably not world-class coaches within the, uh, the, the sound of your voice? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, when I was little growing up, I was just very hyper, always had a ton of energy and we just happened to live really close to a gym, so my parents stuck me in a gymnastics class to kind of burn off all that energy, and it was just, I fell in love with it right away. You couldn't get me out of the gym. How old were you when you first went to gymnastics? I was four years old. <clears throat> yeah, that's about typical. Yeah. with our daughters. <laughs> when did you start actually competing? I started competing when I was seven, because that was like the uh, age limit at the time. Now you can p- compete as young as you want, but at the time you had to be seven years old to compete. And tell the... The, the listening fans, 
a little bit about the great levels of gymnastics, level six, level 10, elite, and all the different names teaches. Um, yeah, so you have your compulsory levels, which are now levels like two through five, and then optional, which is six through 10, and then you have your elite, which is like the Olympic level. Those are the people that are going to be competing internationally and going for an Olympic spot. So, so how old were you when you, <clears throat> when you first started to realize that you had a a knack for being upside down, a knack for balancing on one foot, a knack for flipping around on a floor and winning these floor exercises? Um, well, when I was younger, I wasn't the best gymnast. I mean, everybody always saw that I had something in me, and I was, like, pretty good at it, but I never saw that myself until a little later. I was probably 13 or 14 when I realized. I was like, oh, I'm actually not bad at it. <laughs> like, I may have a shot at, you know, having some success in this sport. Um, but it was really encouraging and really cool to see that other people saw that in me from the beginning. And you're the proud daughter of Edward and Sandy McCullum, but you have six siblings. Where do you fit in your family tree? Um, I'm the second oldest. So I have oh. an older sister, a younger sister, and four younger brothers. Anybody else an athlete in your family besides you? Nope, just me right now. I mean, my little brothers are still pretty young, um, so maybe they will, but they're more into like the music, arts kind of thing. That's good. So as a gymnast, um, what, what is your favorite, your favorite event? You're, you're an all-around champion multiple times. And for those who have not ever been to a gymnastics meet, shame on you. But the five uh, elements are floor, bars, vault, beam, and That's it. Just like I said, there's four elements <laughs> in gymnastics. And which did you start to excel in at the very beginning? Um, I think at the very beginning, floor was probably my best. Um, I always kind of struggled on the other ones because I was so small. It was hard for me to get over the vault. And then on bars, I couldn't really jump to the high bar. Um, so floor just came easiest for me. So right now you're five foot three. So when you were in the seventh grade, how tall were you? Notice I didn't say how short were you. <laughs> I said how tall were you? Um... I was pretty short. I was probably, what was I, 14, 13? 14, yeah. So I was probably like 4 foot 5, 4 foot 8 maybe. Really? Very short. You had a growth spurt from 4 foot 5 yeah. to 4 foot 8. So, <clears throat> excuse me, you started competing at what level? Level 6 is when you start competing, and how old were you then? I started competing in level 5. That was like the lowest level they had at okay. the time. I was seven, and then I kind of just made my way up from there. So did you start winning on the floor exercise immediately? No. <laughs> I don't think I won an event until I was probably a level nine or level ten. And how old were you then? Um, I was 12, so it took a couple years. <laughs> but that's still amazing, level 10 at age 12. That's still your advantage for your age. So you had a wonderful coach, obviously, in your small town. <clears throat> and then what happened? Uh, tell us about this, this uh, amazing Minnesota Connections Academy. <laughs> Was that just a specific high school for gymnasts, for elite athletes? Or tell us about so your experience. Minnesota Connections Academy was just an online program they had. And with the amount of training I did, it just kind of made the most sense to do online school. Um, that way I could kind of practice and wouldn't have to worry about going to school, like skipping class or like getting modifications for school to go to practice. So that way 
I went to practice in the morning, did school in the afternoon, and then went to practice later in the day. This is a lot easier. <laughs> At what age did you start that then? Um, I was in seventh grade when I started doing online school, but before that I was homeschooled all through. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So maybe this is a, a, a public service announcement for your parents to, if you want to champion gymnast to emerge <laughs> from your family, you should have your mom <laughs> teach your beer, beer, beer online teacher. I guess. Talk about a, not, a new NIL opportunity for your mom. <laughs> yeah. And not just for the athletes. So you, you started off in floor exercise, and then as you started to emerge through this connections, through this academy, uh, Teach us about the training that you went through. Um, the training was pretty hard. I mean, when I was younger, it was it was fun. It was really easy. Like, I had great coaches that just really um, let me play around and really enjoy the sport. And then as I got older, I started to have to kind of get more serious about it if I wanted to succeed these big dreams and goals that I had. And uh, so I ended up moving gyms. I've been to, like, four different gyms in my lifetime. So <laughs> a lot of moving around for um gymnastics but it was definitely worth it and then when I got older I was 14 and I went to Twin City Twisters which is the gym that I went to the Olympics with and that's where gymnastics started to get a little more serious like I had fun obviously but it was it was tough it was really draining how many hours a day so you work out twice a day as you went to the twisters as well yeah we had worked out twice a day um only a couple times a week I probably trained close to 30 hours a week and how many hours in the morning then you would, at what time in the, in the day would you begin and what time would you end and then what would happen in between your afternoon session? Yeah, so we'd begin um, practice at 6 a.m. and then go to like 8, 8.30. And then I'd come back home and I lived like 45 minutes from the gym, so it was a lot of driving. Um, and I'd do school and then I'd leave for practice around 12.30. We'd have practice from like 1 to 5.30, 6 o'clock-ish, and then I'd come home and finish homework or family. <laughs> so what other gymnasts were in your Twisters gym? Um, well, I guess some of the more well-known gymnasts were Maggie Nichols. She was uh, at Olympic trials. She was a world team member, like very accomplished gymnast. Um, and then our current national team gymnast is Lexi Zeiss. So uh, we've had a couple come out. Um, Abby Paulson was also an elite gymnast. She competed for Team USA and Olivia Troutman, and they're both in college right now. So, so as, you, uh, as you heard in my introduction, I just want to refer back to my notes that you excelled as a young teenager at the Minnesota Connections Academy, as we talked about. But as a U.S. championship and U.S. classic qualifier since 2017, how old were you at 2017? Um, I was 15. And you were already qualifying. Yeah. <laughs> Four-year member of USA team, national team, 2018 to 21. And in the middle of that, obviously, two-time world champion as a Team USA member and member of the 2020 silver medal team. So teach us a little teeny bit about your, your mindset. When you, when you <clears throat> began your journey, and again, as a father, as a fan of gymnastics and a father of two, Pretty good gymnast. My daughter took second in the nation as a 12-year-old. She was a pretty good little girl. I watch how many times you crash and burn before you ever get that particular element 
of the entire routine down. And when you see you in the Olympics, when you see you at the University of Utah and you hit that perfect 10 on bars twice, when you end up with three, nine, when you, you're, you're this just amazing elite superstar, no one ever sees the times you crash and burn. Yeah. So take us all the way back. I want to know how many times it literally took you to learn how to go from the bottom bar to the top bar and back to the bottom bar on the bars for the first time? Um, the amount of times you fall and crash on those skills is like crazy. You can't even count. Um, hundreds. Yeah, hundreds, hundreds of times. Maybe even in that two-hour morning, maybe exactly. in that four-hour afternoon, hundreds of times you yeah. just get back up. People don't see that. <laughs> and, and ladies and gentlemen, one thing that you got to understand about gymnastics, there's no crying in gymnastics. And when they fall off the apparatus, the culture is get back up and finish your routine. Whoa. Yep. <laughs> Teach us. Talk, talk to us. I want to know about your mental toughness so that we can click off this podcast and believe that we can be a champion like you are if we start thinking like you think and do what you do. Yeah, it's definitely hard to, like, come back after a fall. You definitely have to be mentally tough um, to get back up there and just kind of shake it off. Um, but I think, I don't know, it, it's, it's tough. It's really tough. And you have to be strong and know that you're going to make mistakes. You're human, and it's okay. But just um, letting that go and being like, you know what, I have so much left in me, and I have so much – or I can prove, and I think that's, like, the biggest thing for me is whenever I fall, I'm like, you can you can show them what you can do. Like, show them what you can do because, you know, you practice so hard and you have had so many tough days. Um, so just make it all worth it. I don't know. So <clears throat> I used to be an alpine ski racer. I'm a, at a wannabe uh, auto racer race a few places around the world and when you learn the course you only learn one segment of the course and you go back and back and back during that 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 segment of the downhill or the gs or that segment of the road race so the same mindset has to be part of you learning an entire routine so do you just perfect one part one element of the bars routine and then you go on to the next one and then you go on to the next one and you go on to the next one yeah so you learn all the skills one skill at a time and slowly put them together into a routine um, and you can't get ahead of yourself because if you get ahead of yourself and start thinking about the next skill before you even finish the skill you're on uh, you're gonna mess up <laughs> I mean it's it's really hard and you really have to be in the moment I'm sure you know like as an athlete you have to just really focus on what you're doing and not get too far ahead of yourself because um, that's when things go wrong absolutely as I promised at the onset I love quotes under pressure, you don't rise to the occasion. You fall to your level of training. Exactly. That's why we train and practice so hard. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's amend that, which means pressure is not something that's naturally there. It's created when you question your own ability. And when you know what you've been trained to do, there's no pressure. That's why we train and practice so hard. Exactly. So take us into a meet. So you've practiced, you've crashed and burned, you've perfected, you've gotten back up, you've put all these elements together, and now it's a complete routine. And I'm focused on the bars because you're always a, you always win the bars. So how do you put those elements together uh, 
in your mind before the meet begins and how do you focus and get ready so that when they, when the judges are ready and you raise your hand and you get ready to start, take us into that mindset. Um, I think going into the meet, everybody's going to be having nerves. Um, it's, it's normal and it's okay. Like for people to think like, oh, you shouldn't be nervous. Like you're not going to do good if you're nervous. And we've had a sports psychologist come in and honestly, it's really helped so much. She said, Nerves, your body feels nerves the same as it feels excitement. Yeah. So turn those nerves into excitement and, like, just get excited to your, do your routine instead of being nervous. And so you can still have nerves and you can be like, well, like, I'm scared. I want to make this perfect. I want to do super good because all of the hard training I've been doing. Um, but I don't think thinking that way has personally helped me. Um, I take, I try and take all the pressure off myself and just be like, you want to – practice or train how you practice because you've done so many good reps in the gym there's no need to do anything more than that you don't need to be perfect you just need to do your best that day or what you do best in the gym and so I think people saying like you need to shoot for perfection is just not the right way to put it just shoot for your best that day just focused in on not getting ahead of yourself especially when you're flipping around the bar exactly (laughs) So how do you prepare mentally for the vault? So you're you're running faux faux, full speed, and all of a sudden you hit the little boinger. I don't know the names of the terms. <laughs> hit the little catapult, whatever it's mm-hmm. called, and all of a sudden you've got to extend your arms. Teach us what goes through your mind when you're heading full speed down this this mat, and all of a sudden you got to just boom in about five seconds, yeah. and all of a sudden you land. Vault's a really challenging one, I think, because it is so quick. You have to be there every single second. Um, if you even let your mind go off for a second, you're you're on your butt or you're falling. Um, and I've been one of those people where you just your mind wanders and then you're you're done for. Um, so I think just really committing to the end of your vault is really important. It's something I've had to learn um, and just. I don't know, trusting yourself and knowing that you've put in the reps in the gym and commit to the end. So we all are, are, are aware of Kerry Strug and that famous vault that helped us win the all-around gold. So I'm sure you've seen that video. Have you ever had an experience where you have to just suck it up and it's just pain as a signal to grow, not to suffer? Yeah, going through Elite... Um, you kind of ignored your pain. Um, it was kind of seen as like a weakness if you said anything about um, any aches or pains. Uh, so whenever I hyperextended my knee a couple times and I would just have to work through it, even though it was super swollen and sore, and it's just like something you have to do to get to the top. And my coach would always say like, you know, what if this happens at a meet? Like, you need to be able to do this and get through it at a meet, which is so true. Like, you don't want to just stop and yes, there is a certain point where you should not push through for safety reasons. But I do think it's good to push through those little aches and pains here and there because it will make you a tougher gymnast and it will get you through those tough times. And if you are hurting at a meet and you just need to get through, like, you're like, I've done this at practice and I know I can do routines even with these little pains. Yeah, one of my heroes is... Uh, Fujimoto from Japan, <clears throat> and you can anybody can Google his Olympic performance where he broke his leg, and they needed his score. He had to perform in order for his team to 
to win the gold, and he sucked it up. And uh, I've had a chance to interview him. He's, he's really one of my heroes. I've written about him in a couple of my books. So who would be your hero of a resiliency hero? Might not even be somebody in gymnastics, somebody who reminds you that, you know, an armored-up warrior never has to get ready. She stays ready. You know, bring it on, baby. I can take anything. I don't know if I really have one particular person that I really look up to for that. I feel like it's a whole ton of athletes combined. They have so many amazing things that they show people and just, like, their strengths. Um, I just – all athletes inspire me in different ways, just seeing everything, their challenges that they've gone through and how they've come back and all their stories about coming back and um, getting – achieving all their – successes or just whatever um so I think it's just the athlete community in general is just very inspiring what specific qualities <clears throat> actually let me take you through a process think of one person that you just admire just admire now think of the qualities that that person has that you admire and what would those qualities be I think hard work um humility uh gratitude um, determination, obviously being motivated and having that grit, um, and then just being genuine, a good person. You know, it's so cool. <clears throat> Bring tears to my eyes because as I've asked your teammates, those are the qualities they admire in you. It's pretty cool. <laughs> so as a freshman, so how old are you going in your sophomore year? I'm 20. You old woman. You. <laughs> I know, I'm getting old. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> So it's crazy that the older gymnasts, that the older athletes, student athletes at the university, basketball players, male and female, you know, soccer players, uh, football players, not only do they know who you are, but you inspire them. And one of the things that just is so intriguing that everybody needs to know is with this name, image, and likeness opportunity for us to make a little bit of dough on the side, I'm way too old. I've moved in the wrong generation. But I understand you purchased a, a massage chair for the gymnastics yeah. team just because you wanted to do something for your fellow gymnasts. That is the coolest thing, and I've never heard that in the history of NIL. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I just thought, you know, since this program has given me so much and NIL has given me so many amazing opportunities that I thought it was the least I could do to give back to the program that's given me so much. And that's just so cool. You have my cell phone number, right? You, mm -hmm. you have my address where you could have one delivered to them. I mean, it's just <laughs> yeah. it's a pretty good deal, eh, Machi? This could, <laughs> this could go well. This podcast episode is brought to you by the amazing Berkshire Hathaway, longtime supporter of University of Utah student-athletes. So let's start getting into the nitty-gritty. Why in the world would you choose to come to the University of Utah when you had an option to go, obviously, to any school on the, on the planet, maybe even on Mars, because of your <laughs> amazing success as a, as a gymnast? Um, I chose the University of Utah because of the program here, the academics and the athletic program, and the amount of support they have. Um, before I came here, I didn't realize the amount of support. Like, I saw it a little bit, but being a part of the program now, I just noticed, like, how many people in this community care so much about the athletics, the amount of donors and fans and like just outside supporters we have for our programs is unreal. And it's unlike any program I've ever seen. Um, and just the coaching staff we have here is absolutely amazing. And they 
care about you not only as an athlete but as a person and they want to see you succeed in life which is so cool um because you know their job is just to make you the best athlete you can be but I mean our coaches not only want to do that but they want us want to make us into the best person we can be absolutely um, with, with the legacy of the Marsdens exactly go way back and for those listening internationally we sell out every single gymnastics meet and our stadium holds uh, excess of 15k 15,000 people yep. and every season we've been season ticket holders for a thousand years uh, we just participated for the second year in a row as Pac-12 football champions at the Rose Bowl and going down to the Rose Bowl to your point Grace about three-fourths of that stadium that that day when the Rose Bowl 2022 or 2023, we had 94,000 fans, and I really believe about 70,000, 65,000 to 70,000 were red Utes. Oh, yeah, 100%. So we travel. We love you as athletes. We support you. I'm glad you you know that because we, uh, we're here for you no matter what. So what are your plans? You're, you're a sophomore. Mm-hmm. Are you going, and you're so young and such an extremely – successful gymnast do you plan on competing in the next olympics as well um i've thought about it and it's not out of the question yet but i just love it here so much i'm like i don't want to leave um but we'll see i do still think about it a lot and it's something i'd love to do but it's just like it's you have to be 100 percent committed to it and i want to make sure that's what i want to do before i make any final decision so do your coaches frown on you you participating in any other sport? Can you go snowboarding and just as long as you don't come to practice with like goggle yeah. mar- marks on your face and um, no one knows and everything's cool or no, you can't or uh, you can? I guess they don't really care that much as long as we're safe. But I well, guess most of them. What does that mean? Um, they, I mean, they encourage us to do other things. They want us to have outside hobbies and um Stay busy and active in other ways just to kind of get our mind off of gymnastics since we're in the gym so much. But most of us tend to not do those things just because we don't want to take that risk and we don't want to get hurt because we care about our training so much. Absolutely. Um, but they never say, no, you can't do that. No, you can't go skiing. No, you can't go snowboarding. It's just we tend not to, to, tend to not do those things because we don't want to risk for injury. <laughs> Absolutely. So tell us about growing up. Were your parents, did they just push you and push you once they saw that you had potential, or they were they laissez-faire, kick back, say, hey, do what you want to do? And um, my parents were always super supportive of my gymnastics, and they said, you can be done at any time, but you can keep going as like long as you want. They were just, I couldn't ask for a better support system back home. Um, they were never really pushy. They never said, oh, why didn't you do this, or oh, why can't you do that, or... Um, you need to train more or whatever. It was all up to me. Um, so I think that's also helped my journey along the way is I never felt pressured to doing gymnastics. I never felt like I had to do it because they were just like, you don't have to if you don't want to. They're like, it's your life. It's your career. That's all up to you. I love it. I love Can't wait to meet your parents. <laughs> They're great people. <laughs> so, you know, the Michael Phelps, I've interviewed him, been on the program with him a few times, and he was famous to have the heads, headphones on, getting ready to dive in and set a, a world record. And he loved heavy metal, and he loved rap. I'd interviewed so many of the football players. I mean, Clark Phillips, he listens to hymns. You know, his dad's a preacher. I'm like, really? 
dude, man, he's like, you know, God be with us till we meet again. And he's trying to get fired up to play the football <laughs> yeah. game. I'm like, that was so fun. Do you have a routine, a pre, pre-meet, pre-event routine that you go through that includes food and that includes music? I'm not a very, like, superstitious person or I don't have any really rituals before meets. I just kind of like to relax and take my time getting ready before meets, but I don't listen to any specific music. I don't eat anything specific. I just kind of go with the flow. I try to have, like, a very low-stress day before we compete. That's good. So what's your favorite food? (laughs) Um, I don't know. It kind of switches up every couple weeks, so I don't really have really? a favorite food. <laughs> I have a lot of fa- um, non-favorites, so. Yeah, maybe we start picking those <laughs> out, because I remember in the Olympics, sort of on the Olympic Committee back in 2002, and we had an Olympic speed skater who ate something that she had never eaten before the night before her competition, and she lost, and she oh, was no. the world record holder. I'll never, I won't bring her name out and throw her under the bus. Yeah. <laughs> so do you it's not like you're going to go have, you know, a, your favorite burrito right before a meet or anything. You just, like, what, what's the pregame meal? What's um, pre-meat meal? I guess I just eat, like, light foods throughout the day. I'll have, like, little snacks or I'll do fruits and stuff. Just something, like, really light. You don't I'm, meet as a team like we do in football? No, because a lot of gymnasts are typically very superstitious, and so they they let them do their own th- things. Um Talk about superstitious. You mean like they won't like they they won't step on one of the lines as they're coming out to the yeah, floor exercise? Yeah, I mean some or? of the things our team has. Like some girls will use certain hair ties. Like if they practice with those hair ties, they'll use those for the meet. They can't use different ones. Um, they'll do their hair a certain way. They have to drink a certain amount of coffees beforehand. They have to eat a certain breakfast. They have to get up and do certain things throughout the day. Like. They're very particular in what they need to do. Um, I don't. I don't have any of those that's, things. That's great. <laughs> so, if you were in default and you were starving to death, what meal would you fix yourself? Hmm. Probably tacos. That's probably one of my favorite oh, yeah. meals. Yeah. Very yeah. good. Good Mexican mm-hmm. food. So. Hey, let's start winding down. <clears throat> Talk to us about your Olympic experience. What was it like? Walking, was it everything you thought it was going to be or more? How do you get ready to be an Olympic champion, an Olympic gymnast, an Olympic athlete that represents your country? It was amazing being there. It was definitely a lot different than I pictured it growing up just because of COVID and everything. Um, but it was a once-in-a-lifetime experience that I'll never forget. And it will be like unlike any Olympics there are. Um, I just... I really enjoyed every moment out there. I had no expectations for myself. I just wanted to really enjoy every moment and not take anything too serious. And obviously, I wanted to do my best, but just have fun while doing it because I'm like, I'm only going to be here once. I'm only going to be in this arena once. So just take it all in. What was the Olympic Village like? Did you have a chance to interact with other gymnasts from other countries or other um, athletes from other countries? So we went to the Olympic Village only once. Uh, we stayed, like, separate because we didn't want to get COVID because if one person on the team got COVID, your whole team was out, and you had to leave the country within, like, 24 hours. So we really stayed away from every single athlete as much as we could. Um, but we got to walk around a little bit. It was really cool just seeing all the buildings with the different countries and the flags and the Olympic rings and just everything they had there was super cool. But, yeah, we stayed a little separate because we didn't want to take that risk. (laughs) That's so great. 
great to know. So who on the Olympic team, the U.S. team, did you get closest to and, and, and why? Um, I think the person I was closest with on the team was probably Jake, just because we had roomed together at national team camps for years. Um, we became really, really close, and so to be able to go to the Olympics with her was amazing. She was like my best friend. Um, so getting to go to the Olympics with your best friend would be pretty cool. <laughs> uh, absolutely. So teach us about the inside story of, of Simone. How did that come down? Did she talk to the fellow gymnasts on the team? Teach us about that mindset. Um, so she had what we call the twisties, where you just forget kind of all air awareness. You don't really know where you are. Um, she talked to us on the team and was just like, hey, guys, like I'm really I'm here to support you, and I'm really sorry I can't compete, but it's just for my own safety. And we fully supported her because we've all experienced it at one point in time. And it's a serious thing that I don't think people, when she stepped out, I don't think they took it serious enough. I think they were kind of like, well, why is she doing that? Can't she just tough it out? And she tried. You could see it coming on a couple of days in advance where she was getting lost in the air. And she tried everything to change her routines and like fight through it. But it was just something that for safety reasons, she couldn't. And we all saw that. And we knew that it was for the best. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I couldn't be more proud of her. And I think it really raised awareness for mental health because it wasn't really talked about and it was very frowned upon to talk about your mental health and things you go through. And for her to raise awareness for that and people to start talking about it more, I think is really helpful for all athletes and especially the gymnastics community. I know it's changed a lot there. So when you say the twisties, so... So once you're airborne, you have to know exactly where you are. Isn't yep. that interesting? Yeah, it's crazy. You I, know I do where don't your really feet are. You it. can see the ground coming. You can, yeah. Yeah, and then when you don't know where you are, it's, it's scary. crazy. It's scary. It's can you recover? You've said most gymnasts have gone through that. Most elite gymnasts have gone yeah. through that at some point. I think really any gymnast you can ask has gone through it at one point in time. Um, it can last anywhere from a couple turns to a couple weeks. You never know when it was. it's going to go away. Sometimes it just clicks, and it's like, oh, it's gone. And then other times it's just weeks before it like, wow. finally fixes itself. So what could we do as a community in the NIL world to better support you or to continue to support you? Um, I think it's just good for people to understand <clears throat> what the twisties are and, I guess, take them more seriously because they can be very dangerous. Not knowing where you are, I mean, you can land on your head, you can land on your back, you can injure yourself really bad. Um, so I think that's just the best way is knowing that when somebody says they have the twisties, like it's be empathetic, yeah, understand exactly. as a fan. Cause we're trying, we're trying so hard to figure it out and know where we are, but we just can't, <laughs> just can't figure it out. So what's your most challenging event? Um, I think the most challenging event for me is probably beam. <laughs> Why get is that? nervous on that event. I always get really shaky. But this past year, it's gotten a lot better, so I'm excited for the season. <laughs> like we know, yeah, the, the same hormones secrete in your body, if, regardless if it's fear or excitement. It's the exactly. exact same emotion. All you have to do exactly. is, it's not what happens to us, it's how we interpret it. Mm -hmm. We can talk about that off air. I'm so fascinated by that as well. So how can we get a hold of you? What's your, what, are, what are your social media handles so we can start following you? And, <laughs> 
and make sure we support you in every way possible. Um, well, I guess my main social media that I use is Instagram, so you can follow me there. It's yeah. just grace.mccallum. <laughs> grace.mccallum, M-C-C-A-L-L-U-M, correct? Dot com. I'm just kidding. <laughs> and what would be your favorite car that you would want to drive if some NIL person is listening in? Oh, my gosh. I've been dreaming about getting the Ford Bronco since it came out. It's, really? it's my favorite car in the whole world. <laughs> like, a, like a Raptor. Like a, yeah, like the real deal, not the sport one. The real deal. And what would be your favorite restaurant that you would want to eat at if you had an NIL deal? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't eat out a whole lot. So, I don't know. Really any place, I guess. Just not sushi. How about your favorite clothing place, if you could get an idea with the clothier? Well, Come I mean, on. I always wear Lululemons. So. Say Lulu. They're yeah. In. You used to know the manager down there. That would there. be my place. Yeah, I took mine off to put on jeans just to come down here. That's so good. <laughs> so there you have it, Grace McCallum. And I want you to, to listen to the bookend qualifications as we conclude this, this amazing episode. Um. She excelled as a young teenager at Minnesota Connections Academy. But now listen to this. In this episode, I wanted her to share her life on and off the mat and how she prepares mentally and emotionally to just rise to the occasion. But as a freshman, she was a five-time All-American, three regular season and two NCAA. And for those who don't understand gymnastics, you can be an All-American in all four events. Mm -hmm. And that's why it adds up all in the same season. Yeah. She was a five-time All-WAC, uh, All-PAC, All-WAC, All-PAC 12 conference and 2022 PAC 12 bars and floor champion, co-champion. I'm so impressed. And I want to know, just as we wind down, three categories. Physically, I mean, mentally strong, physically strong, mentally tough, and emotionally stable. What do those three categories mean to you, and what do you do on a daily basis to make yourself physically strong? Is it just gymnastics alone, or do you actually add some ancillary activities by going to the gym or running the stadium steps or something we need to know about? Um, I think staying physically strong is just, you know, working really hard in the gym, making sure you're not cheating yourself out in any conditioning and really putting in the numbers and focusing on all those little intrinsic muscles. That's what I do, at least. <laughs> not with weights, but just by, you know, you know, can't hire somebody else to do your push-ups, but exactly. the way to do learn to do more push-ups is to do push-ups, not to do bench press, right? That's yep. what you're saying. Actually do the activity, do the exercise. Yeah, and do it with in good intentions. And okay, so how do you increase and stabilize your mental toughness? Um, I think, I mean, what helped me the most was being a sports psychologist. Uh, she really helped my mental toughness. Um just getting in the right mindset before I compete and going into practice. Um, but I guess it's different for everybody for that. And just knowing how to push through certain things. Like there are times where it's you don't push and then there are times that you do. And just knowing when to and to not do those is important. Wow. And to be the kind of coach that lets you, that knows how to push and how to mm -hmm. pull back. Exactly. A coach is a, plays a big part in that. This podcast episode is brought to you by Berkshire Hathaway, the most extraordinary real estate company in the Intermountain West, bringing you the greatest customer service, Deer Valley, Park City, Salt Lake City, Ogden, and Bountiful. 
And then the last category, emotional stability. So if you have a tragedy in your life, if you've crashed and burned on the bars, which you're expected to win every single meet, 